Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Passion drive and patience what brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive ebay motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers roof racks exhaust kits led headlights and more whether you're into speed power or style ebay motors has got you covered with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die you'll always find exactly what you're looking for And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Swing and a drive. Right field and deep. Back goes Aquino. It's got a chance. Gone. Get out the tape measure. Long gone. Fly the W. Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It is season three. It's episode one. Cubs anthem singer John Vincent. Don't forget to download, review, most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials, Fly the W670 on Twitter, Instagram, and Fly the W on Facebook, or email us at Fly the W670 at gmail.com. Crowley, happy new year to you and to all the listeners. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I was New Year's Eve. I was down at a friend's house by Wrigley Field. Saturday, I was at uh, at the Winter Wonderland enjoying the last of that as that ends, what, next weekend, I believe. I saw and you. I saw you in the uh, in the sled. Yeah, we did some rides. We did some live streaming at Crawley's Cubs. Uh, needless to say, I was there with my wife and my kids, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. And again, you, you're running out of time, but if you want to hit it up, it's always a good time there. Yep, I can endorse that. I did it at the last week about this time and had a blast. Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, though, the Cubs have not made any baseball moves. Yeah. Still waiting. There's, uh, you know, a few. Chris Sale traded to the Braves, which kind of surprised me. Yeah, I guess the Braves but, uh, are definitely all in, huh? Apparently, but I don't know. I always think of Sale with the scissors and the yeah, socks. The first thing, jersey. Unfortunately, <laughs> that's the first thing you think of, right? When you say Chris Sale, that's where, that's that's exactly. And maybe it's being Chicago fans and being Cub fans that you 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 think bad White Sox memory with Chris Sale, but um, yeah, that's the first thing. I don't think nationally that's probably the first thing people think of. They probably would be like, "Oh, really? I didn't even know that story." 
But for me and for you, yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, I think if you're if you're a Chicago fan, you think of the jersey cutting up nonsense. I think if you're a Boston fan, you're thinking about a guy that was injured a lot. And, you know, for national, I mean, he's got some name recognition, but hasn't done anything over a few years. So while it's been quiet, the Cubs did today, we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, January 2nd, they did announce officially their um, Craig Council's managerial coaching staff. So, you know, we talked about that earlier, that that was probably going to be done. And so exciting. You know, the Cubs have a few new names. Ryan Flaherty is the bench coach, uh, replacing Andy Green. Darren Holmes is going to be the bullpen coach. And Mark Stripmatter is going to be the Major League Field Coordinator. And then my guy, John Maley, back assistant hitting coach. So, you know, you you have the experience. Willie Harris is in his fourth season. He's come back as third base coach. Hadovy, Tommy Hadovy, you know, always on the Mully and Haw show. Sixth season as a pitching coach. Dustin Kelly in his second season with Maley assisting. Uh, Mike Napoli at first. This is fifth season with the Cubs as well. Um, and you know, as you kind of go through Daniel Moscos, this is his third year with the Cubs coaching staff. And then Juan Cabrera is the assist, another assistant hitting coach. And that's his second season in this role. So, you know, it, we, we thought it would be announced before Cubs con. And so it, that's the, the Cubs take a break. You know, a lot of people in the front office, they take a break from, uh, you know, the 24th until, uh, Tuesday today. So that's why we're getting the the announcement today, but, uh, you know, like I said, I think that, I think coaching staff, no problem. It's just get these guys, some players to coach. Yeah, Who are they going to coach? Right. Who are they instructing? <laughs> who are they in coaching? Who, who are they telling to steal second? Who are they telling to tag up? Right. Mm -hmm. that, that, that seems to be the only issue, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I think that, I think, like I said, I think the staff looks solid. Let's just get some players and then we get to Cubs con, you know, it's, and, 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 you know, with Cubs con coming up, I mean, I know people get excited, but just a reminder, I, I, I get this all the time. Crawley, do you think they're going to announce somebody special at Cubs convention? They signed a player. It can happen. It can happen. It happens sometimes organically. If you remember, Kerry Wood was announced at Cubs con. Um, he was at the end of his career. Uh, he only, he only played a couple months that season before retiring um, and then you had, uh, Jeff Samarge, I remember, but he was somebody that was a rookie. He was making a choice between football and baseball and the Cubs signed him right before the Cubs convention. And then, uh, last year you remember Trey Mancini was happening as we were playing bingo at Cubs con, but trust me, Scott Boris nor Jed Hoyer are going to make any decisions based on getting something done before Cubs con. They, they don't, they do not <laughs> yeah, care I mean, about Jed, that. Jed, Jed may, Jed may have that in the back of his mind. Maybe there's a little bit of, of push from ownership that, you know, Hey, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to announce that uh, Cody, uh, you know, Cody Bellinger is going to be back with the Cubs uh, monitoring center field or first base or a little bit of both. Right. It wouldn't be a terrible thing to announce on the red carpet, if you will. But I mean, no, it's not the, uh, <laughs> The, the reason that it would happen at that time. Of course not. Nope. And, 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 and again, you're going to have Scott Boris making the money sign that that's going to be the end all be all. And from, from what it looks like, Dustin, from what I've been seeing, it, it literally is down to the Cubs for uh, the services of Cody Bellinger. So it's just a matter now of coming to a financial agreement, which is never going to be easy with Mr. Boris. Um, now the Cubs did make, uh, a couple more announcements. 
So you remember, Dustin, that that Craig Breslow is going to move on to the head of baseball ops in Boston. And and Breslow was really the one in charge of the Cubs pitching uh, infrastructure. But what happened when he left is that Jared Banner, who had been the farm director, got promoted into Banner's role, which was the assistant to the general manager. So what's going and to Breslow, happen and Breslow wasn't allowed to take anybody, right? That was part of the deal. Like part of the deal. They, absolutely. They let Breslow go because it was a promotion, but he wasn't able to uh, poach, I guess, for lack of a better term, any Cubs staffers, at least in the first year. In the first year, they cannot take anyone from the Cubs. And so it's kind of interesting because again, with Jared Banner now moving up, uh, somebody had to fill the role Banner's role in the farm uh, as far as farm director and so the Cubs on Monday announced that Jason Kanzler will be the new director of player development. So he's taken over that role. Kanzler had numerous roles for the Houston Astros for the last five years. So the Cubs have one of the top farm systems in baseball right now. And we know that it seems like Houston continues to have some really good players. Yeah, they've so, done a good job developing talent, no doubt. Right. And so the hope now is that Jason Kanzler can continue to do the same thing for the Cubs and, and, and that farm system kind of, you know, we saw what happened as they built that farm system in 2014, 15 and, and, and getting all those young players up, what you can't do is have a drop off like you had last time when all those players graduated and got into the major leagues where you're, when you're talking about bias, when you're talking about Schwarber, when you're talking about Russell, all of those young players. So Lair was in that group, just so many you can't have the gap that they had and, and not be able to backfill that. You have to continually keep that farm system loaded. And you've seen Houston do that. You've seen the Dodgers do that. That's what good organizations do. Yep. So hopefully this is one of those moves that, uh, that is that, you know, to the average fan isn't going to be a big deal, but trust me, you don't have a good farm system. It, it affects everything. Yeah. The hire makes a ton of sense. No doubt. The Cubs also announced an internal promotion. Ryan Otero is going to be the new director director of pitching, which was Breslow's kind of bread and butter. Uh, Otero has been with the Cubs for six years, including being part of the pitching infrastructure. So, Dustin, when you look at these two moves, you have uh, Kanzler taking over, and I like that because it gives a new, fresh set of eyes in the farm system. Sometimes I think whether it's you and I, whether it's internally, whoever, you know, you, you have your players that you start to become, you know, that, that you think are so great, but having a different set of eyes looking at it, I think is very helpful. Right. Cause uh, guys fall in love with guys that they pick, right. And guys that right. were part of recruiting and guys that they're bringing up and they kind of stand on the table for them. And then you have to, it, I agree with you. It's good to get a new set of eyes and new evaluation on these guys. Um, on the flip side, though, with Otero, who's been with the Cubs for six years, most of it in, on the pitching side, I really like the fact that, you know, you do have some continuity. And we talked about that was one of the good things about Breslow not being able to poach all these guys and bring them to Boston is, is by having, um, you know, somebody in there. I think that pitching has really, really, really improved over the last few years. We saw it big time this season with Justin Steele making a big jump. You saw Alzali doing great as a closer. You saw Jordan Wicks contribute. You saw Javier Assad contribute. 
I, I feel like pitching has really been a strength for this organization the last couple of years, and it just started bubbling up really last season. You really started to notice it. I think it's going to continue bubbling up. And so to have a guy who is familiar with what Breslow did, I, I like that, especially on the pitching side, because it, it seemed like the Cubs really had a good system going with Breslow in the pitching department. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season three. It's episode one, Cubs anthem singer John Vincent. Don't forget to listen, download, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials, and don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. In this segment, Crawley interviews John Vincent, the anthem singer for your Chicago Cubs, on his music career, his struggles to overcome adversity, and his relationship with the coach, Mike Ditka. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I am happy to have on John Vincent. John, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing well. Uh, it, good to hear from you. Excited. Um, for people that may not be aware, I know you've seen John Vincent on the field at Wrigley Field singing the anthem. John, tell me. At what age did you realize that singing was something that you truly was a passion of yours? 29. 29 years ago. No, no, at the age of 29. At the age of 29. So you spent from from your birth to 29, you weren't singing. What at age 29 turned on that light to get you singing? Oh, I got, I had a relationship and I got my heart broken, which looking back, uh, you're like, okay, it wasn't that broken, but you thought it was back then. <laughs> um, and I said, you know what? I'm going to become a singer. And uh, my day job, I was a recruiter in accounting and finance. And uh, I started, uh, it was January 2001. And uh, I just said, I want to be, try to become a singer. I started singing at a couple different restaurants. Rosebud's on uh, Rush. No, no, Pino's on uh, Northwest Highway in Edison Park. And then uh, they heard about me at Ditka's, and I, had, I auditioned for Mrs. Ditka. And I, it was my full-time job ever since. Uh, started August of 2001 till now. Wow. And so I have a picture up here. And, I, I, you know, I've been to your different shows, your Valentine's show, your holiday show. And this is a picture of you with your dad singing. And I remember one time you did um, you did a duet with your dad, not live, but he was singing and you were singing to the tape of your dad singing. So it seems like singing was a very important part of your life. Yeah, um, we've always done things uh, uh, 
like I, he would sing around the table with his brothers, uh, you know, grew up in a big Italian family on the south side of Chicago by Archer and Cicero. We used to have Christmas Eve and there'd be 50 of us in this bungalow on 61st and Monitor. And you would hear my uncles, one playing the accordion, my Uncle Sal, my dad singing, my Uncle Benny, you know, singing with him, my Uncle uh, Mario, trying, you know, trying to sing with them, uh, all of them trying to sing with my dad. And my dad had an incredible voice. He still does. He still has some, some power behind his voice. He's 88 now and he's suffering with, you know, Louis body, Parkinson's dementia. So we, we, we don't really sing anymore. We, we can't. Um, uh, but that's where the, the lo- I've always had the love of music. My, my favorite thing to uh, listen to is 80s, you know, hit anywhere from 80s hits in any genre. I grew up on that. And that was like, I think we all hit a certain part in our life, in our childhood, where music becomes extremely important, and that's the music of our life. Look at people. Like, what's your favorite music to listen to? Oh, I love it all, John, and that's why I love you. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like for me, growing up in the '90s as a teenager, that there was you a go. you know 90s, big deal. Right? That's right. There you go. That's when you like like Coach Ditka. He loves '50s. He loves his '50s. Like he'll, I will get in there and listen to Sirius XM, and he's throwing on '50s music, and I realize that's when he that's when he was, you know, a young teenager, a teenager growing up, and that was that hits us at a certain time in our life. Music, and music is so important. And my father, you know, I never thought about being in music. My father should have been uh, a singer. He would have been a really, really uh, uh, successful opera singer. Very successful opera singer. Good looking, everything. Uh, better voice than I have. Uh, I can sing way higher and, and better timber than I have. And uh, but he was just, you know, born during World War II and had to go to work. Only went to third grade. So his life had to take a different turn. Now, you mentioned Coach Ditka. I got a picture of you with you and the coach, Mylan, here. And there's a special relationship between you two. When Do you remember ever – you auditioned for Mrs. Ditka, but when was the first time you remember singing for the coach, and how nervous were you on that one? Extremely nervous. It was a Thursday night at Ditka's. I was using CDs back then when I first started singing there. I'd have all my karaoke tracks. Uh, pocket songs was the things I used back then. And I'd have a stack of – different karaoke tracks of Frank Sinatra and everything and and, uh, I was setting it up to sing and there's Steve McMichael, Misty McMichael, Mrs. Ditka and I'm already nervous as all heck and uh, um, right after coach he's he's uh, it was a preseason football game so he was announcing a preseason Bears game on channel five if I'm not mistaken in 2001 and he's coming up the stairs and now I'm singing for Mike Ditka and it's Mike Ditka Steve, Misty, and, and Mrs. D, and just a few other people. But my eyes are just on that table because I was just so intimidated to sing for them. But uh, it turned out, obviously, to be phenomenal uh, because I got to meet two of the greatest people in my life, Coach and Mrs. Ditka. They seriously have become second parents. I talk to Mrs. Ditka every day, still today, more now, talk to her more now than ever. Um, life, you know, takes us on amazing journeys and she's an incredible woman and she gave me my start. Coach uh, always stood by me through good times and bad times. He was always there um, at the end. You know, you can't find many people in your life that you can trust all the time. And uh, Coach Ditka was somebody I've trust, trusted all the time. And it's been 22 years and it's never changed. It never will change. And that's how it will always be. 
Um, and that's what I think a lot of times in the world from old to young to whatever is we forget how there are people out there who are so in tune with what's important, so in tune with what, what can make somebody happy, what's going to, what's going to, you know, what's, what's in the best interest for them. When coach had to be hard on me, he was hard on me. He was like a football game. You know, there were times when I was drinking and not giving a crap when I was singing. I'm five years sober. But there was a there was a, a time when I was drinking alcohol and I never thought I had a problem. Got in it, but I would drink. You know, I would binge drink two three times a week, and I was in the perfect job for it. You know, singing, and uh, it was the nightlife and it was fun. And don't get me wrong, it was a blast and I had a wonderful time and everything. But I'm not a person that knows um, you know limits. Like I, if I'm eating, I want to eat a ton. If I'm drinking, I want to drink a ton. I'm just have an addictive personality with certain things, and you know. Food was the biggest one for me. You know, gambling's another one. I love going to the casino. That was a big one for me. It's still a fighting, but I think people need to be more open. And the one thing I could do with Coach is I was an open person, but Coach really taught me how to be really open and Mrs. Ditka because they're so, so open with their words, direct. It's so refreshing. Everything you think of Mike Ditka as the honest, straightforward guy that he is, is true. Everything you think about Mike Ditka when people say, oh, coach uh, is crabby or he's tough or this, people don't understand how generous and how kind Mike Ditka and Mrs. Ditka are. Like, I've seen so many people come into the restaurant when I worked there back in the day, and that was my home, you know, and the one thing I wish I would, I wish I would have stayed with Coach and Mrs. Ditka. Working for them was the best time of my life. I wouldn't have been with the Cubs if it wasn't for Coach. You know, they let's, let's, about- let, yeah, let, let, let's look at that, because how did you go from working at Ditka's to singing the anthem at Wrigley Field? Ron Coomer, Joe Girardi, and, and, and Larry Rothschild. Do you remember those? You know those three names, right? Oh, yeah, I definitely know those three guys. <laughs> and I met all of them through Larry Rothschild. Larry Rothschild comes into the Ditkas. Then he went out to pitch with the Yankees and then the, the, the Padres. He got me tickets to every game uh, in 2003 during the series. Um, everything, you know, I was at every game. It was amazing. It was so much fun. And they would come into Ditkas. And one night, Larry Rothschild comes in with Ron Coomer, who was playing third, and um, Girardi, who was catching. And I walk up to Coomer, and I go, and Ronnie will tell you this story. It's hilarious. I'm like, man, coach goes, you know, this is, and before he says anything, I go, I know who this is. I, I know him. I know, I, I know, you know, his grandparents. I grew up with them. And Coomer's like, he'll tell you this story. He's like, who the heck is this guy? Like, but what? Like, what's he talking about? So I'm sitting there, I'm talking like my big mouth, I usually do. And I said, man, I, I know your grandparents, man. Your grandmother makes the best upside down pineapple cake in the world. And he just like turns around and goes, you do know my grandmother. Well, I used to cut Ron Coomer's grandparents' grass when I was a kid. They grew up next to my aunt and uncle. And in the house on the other side, was uh, Lou and Leonard Coomer, Ron Coomer's grandparents. So I would cut their grass, hang out with his grandfather and his grandmother. They were awesome. I was like a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid. 2003, you know, I'm doing a couple anthems here and there, maybe one or two a year. Then a gentleman by the name of uh, Mr. Ricketts, Tom Ricketts, Ricketts family and all of them, Laura, they buy the Cubs and 
you just really brought me in, man. And I just felt such a difference. I mean, you remember Wrigley. You know, we, I used to park up right to the front door and go sing the anthem because it was just a parking lot. I mean, I'm <laughs> very, very biased. I'm not going to lie, but don't tell me. Don't tell me there is a better experience. I've been to many baseball fields. I've been to many football fields. And we got to be honest, like Green Bay, Lambeau, that's sacred. It's, it's a crazy, unbelievable atmosphere up there. If you don't say the same thing about Wrigley, like, you're just lying. It, it is, again, is it not the best? We're fans, but let's take our fandom out of it. Let's just look at it. Where is there another place like a Wrigley Field? Like, the things they've done, the way they made Wrigley Field, the way they made Gallagher Way, I, I mean, tell me, give me another one where you can combine the old with the new so perfectly. People were worried about the Jumbotrons. Look how great those look. People are worried about everything turned out perfectly at that stadium. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. And so you everything, get to- everything. And that's Mr. Kenny and Mr. And Mr. Ricketts. Those two guys, when they brought me in more and more, obviously I have a friendship with Joe Madden and we're still very close. Mr. Kenny and Mr. Ricketts brought me in and they made me feel, and Mr. Ricketts said to me, he goes, Johnny, you're part of the Cubs family. <laughs> you know, here I am at my age. You know, he said that to me. I'm like a little kid inside. I'm like, shit, the owner of the Cubs just said, you're, you know, you're part of the family, Johnny. And I never thought I would have a World Series ring. I never thought we'd go to the World Series and win it. I never thought we'd have four uh, NLCS experiences. Am I right? Four, three or four at that time. And, you know, when I hear people, I'm like, okay, I was there in 2003. I was there in 1989. I was there in 84. I wasn't there, you know, in 69. But I felt the pain. You know how lucky we are? It was 108 years. That ring is the most special ring there is in all of sports, in my opinion, because of the 108 years. They even Look how many shows mentioned after we won the World Series. Cubs winning the World Series. Cubs, all like sitcoms, movies, shows. It's all in there. And, and to bring bring it after 108 years it was just like the magic happened all at once man well, i gotta ask you the first time you sing the national anthem uh, obviously your the signature move is the the free how long you hold the free out and and for cub fans sometimes we even get the stopwatch out to see how, how you know what's what's johnny gonna do how many seconds how did that get started started when, when i went to uh uh well, long story, and I can't make it really short, but I'll try to, but I talk so damn much. Long story is, uh, um, you know, my dad took me to Italy when I was a kid, 1985. He brought me and there, and there's an article about it in Sports Illustrated called Free Verse, and it talks about me holding free. And, you know, if you, uh, you want me to be really, really honest, um, it's much, much easier for me to hold free for a couple seconds and walk off the field. And as I get older, that's probably more preferred for me. Um, but the reason I started holding free and big Jim Boykowicz, um, who I love, who is just an amazing guy and become an amazing friend, um, Joe Rios and all them guys and everybody I met there, and all those guys, you know, they're like Johnny people do get excited from it. And I got a lot of hate for it, for it for also. Like I've had people run up to me in the tunnel and say, you know, John, I like your voice, but why would you hold it and disrespect the anthem that much? And it's not happened that much in the past years. It really happened during the World Series and after. There was great press and there was a lot of ugly press. But I tell people the same thing. I hold free for one reason, one reason only. My father, when he took me to 85, 1985, took me to Italy. He said, right here in this spot, a Nazi soldier put a gun to your grandmother's head and almost killed her in front of me. 
And I said, what? He goes, in, 19, in, in, in whatever it was, the year was 43 or 42, the Nazis took over uh, Abruzzo, Italy. You know, it, it wasn't uh, Italy and, and Germany as, as being on the same side, which I thought growing up learning that, you know, the Axis power was Italy, Germany, this and that. My father goes, are you shitting me? He goes, he goes, we were treated like dogs. The German soldiers, the Nazis kicked us, beat us. Um, terrible, terrible things. I don't want to get too, too deep on the top podcast. Um, took over my, my father's uh, home where he lived as a kid, the row house at the corner because it was a strategic spot. So they lived in a, literally lived in a barn for a year and a half. No joke, barn. They lived in a freaking barn for a year and a half. And my dad was extremely poor. He dropped out of school in the third grade, was the head of the family, the oldest son. So he was going in the mountains, getting firewood, getting stuff to take care of the family, all that stuff. Hardly any food. My grandmother is walking with him in the piazza, the town square. And she goes, Vincenzo, go get that tarp underneath that, that Nazi tank. We'll make uh, pants for you kids. We'll cover the firewood. We'll do all this stuff with it. So my dad's about six or seven seven because he's born at 35 if it's 42 and he walks out of there with this 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 tarp and um my my father turns around and the soldier goes has a gun to my grandmother's temple goes you can have this you can have the tarp and she dies or you can put it back and she lives and i go as a kid i go dad what you do what do you think i did your grandmother's still alive and this was back in 85 when i'm in italy i'm like what do you think happened he goes i put it back and i'm like it seems so surreal to me and as I got older, my Uncle Mario, who served in Vietnam, you know, the things he went through and the stuff he told me and my other friends, I hold free for freedom for humanity. I think I sound like shit when I hold free. I don't, a lot of times it doesn't, it doesn't come out uh, on the right key. There is a little bit of a little too much vibrato when my ear is going and stuff like that. It could be a little off, but I hold it passionately because I remember the story my father told me. I want freedom for humanity, for every human being on this planet. Not 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 bullcrap freedom, not not fake freedom, but freedom for everyone, every single person, everyone, for you, for me, for for our friends, for our enemies, for our whatever. And once you look at that, life changes. Right. I, I've seen you, you know, use your, you know, your spot to, to really kind of lift other people up. I know you've gone to schools and have done an anti-bullying initiative. And then I remember in 2020, we're all locked down and nobody had it worse than the elderly in, 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 in the old folks' homes. And and you would sit there and, and safely at a distance, you would sing from outside a lot of the old Sinatra and Dean Martin standards for them. And it was such a beautiful thing. You know, I've seen you giving back with the anti-bully initiatives and helping the elderly. It, it just is a beautiful thing. Well, thanks, brother. And, and you know what? That wasn't... That wasn't my idea. I didn't want to do that. That was the Chicago police that asked me. And it was uh, Commander Papanianu, uh, you know, at Wrigley there. Uh, he was the commander there. Now he's, he's, uh, he moved up in rank with the Chicago police. He's just an amazing human. And he's like, hey, John, you know, these, these seniors are, are, you know, we're getting messages from the senior centers and nursing homes that they're just like, we don't want to live anymore. We're in an eight by 10 room and we can't see anybody any, anybody can't see us this you know this is horrible like why are we even surviving and he reaches out to me and I'm, and I'm just very honestly i go you know sir i go man i got terrible ocd i go i got terrible ocd and i uh i don't know if i could go out there with this COVID thing it scares me 
And um, he goes, Johnny, I totally understand. He goes, please, don't don't worry about it. And I'm sitting there on the phone talking to him. I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, sir, why do you do what you're, you do? He goes, I have to, Johnny. And I'm like, no, you don't, man. And I'm like, why do you do what you do? He goes, I have to. And that's all he could give me was the answer, I have to. And then I'm like, well, I have to, too. So you want to talk about a safe distance. I was so OCD scared in that first month, month and a half of COVID. They had the street blocked off. They had my wife would come out there with with uh, and my wife's you know she's five foot three, 120 pounds, but you know she's tougher than anybody. You know <laughs> she's she's like she's out there. She's like you're fine, come on, and she wipe down the mic and clean everything and make sure it's blocked off. But then after about a month of doing it. There were people on the streets and now we're hugging people and everything and, 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 and people are coming up to us and it was, you couldn't fight the, the emotion that it was just having. And everybody was like, oh shit, man, this feels so good to just see people smiling. And it felt good the one time when there was this old man, when I was singing, he gave me the finger out the window and I just started laughing my ass off. I'm like, this guy doesn't care about anything. He's just saying, get, he probably wanted me to shut up. And I just started laughing. It was, I remember it was on Halstead. It was on Halstead and it was the, 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 man, the nursing home just north of Addison. And I remember I'm looking, all these people are waving to this one man's giving me the finger. And I just go, I love this guy for some reason. He just, he's probably just saying F it. And I'm just laughing my ass off while I'm singing. It brought so much joy to so many different people. And even people in the group that were doing it, they, they were like, God, that was so much fun. And it just shows us like, you don't get PTSD from good stuff. You get PTSD no. from bad stuff in life. You get PTSD from pain, from suffering. We learn everything from our childhood. You know, so many people say, John, you talk so much. You're so damn intense all the time and this and that. Well, you know, when I was younger and I would drink and I would laugh, and I still do laugh. Don't get me wrong. I do. And, I, and I'm, I'm not telling people to go through life totally serious. But I would question, why do I get so intense? Why do I think so deeply? Well, first of all, I have Puro. It's a form of OCD. You give me a sentence and you say something to me, I'll have a hundred different scenarios in about five seconds. I hate it. I hate it. But my brain works that fast. And you sit there and you're like, shut up, shut up, because it just keeps going. It doesn't stop. And it's like, boom, boom, boom. But in other ways, you learn. It's like, holy shit, this is a superpower. You get Sinatra's phrasing down because you know exactly where Sinatra would breathe and certain songs from Fly Me to the Moon or everything. You knew when that voice would come in there because your OCD heard it and you would listen to it. You mentioned about your OCD and how you've used that and channeled that into your music. And when, when you started first playing at Rizzo's, I, and I would go to the shows, the, the holiday show, the Valentine's show, and I'm take, putting some pictures up of a couple events I've been to. I, I said to myself, okay, John's going to sing some Dean Martin, Frank Sinatra. It's going to be awesome. And I knew you were going to hit that out of the park. But then out of left field, you know, here comes you doing Louis Armstrong. What a wonderful world. And then all of a sudden you're doing Johnny Cash, Folsom Prison Blues. And then, you know, you're doing Otis Redding, Dock of the Bay. And I'm sitting there and, and every song, it felt like you just encapsulated the spirit of the song. You made it your own, but I just, I didn't have any idea of the range that you had when you sing. Yeah, that was all Coach Ditka, because when I started, I was doing um, probably the same. When I was at Rosebuds and I was at Nono Pinos, I would do Sinatra and that's it. And I probably did about six to eight Sinatra songs over and over again. Like it was to the point where it was embarrassing and um, it, it worked and people liked it. But that was it. That's all I had in my repertoire. And, you know, it wasn't going to go any further than that. I think if I stayed with just that. 
And Coach Ditka goes to me, he goes, John, why don't you try Dean Martin? Why don't you try this guy? Why don't you try that guy? Why don't you try some Johnny Kent? And he goes, why don't you try this Louis Armstrong? What a wonderful world. That's you know, we're, we're talking about it. And I'm listening. I'm like, okay, Louis Armstrong. I love that song. Let me see it. All of a sudden, I just start doing these other voices. And then I start thinking, okay, if I, if, if I can, and, and trust me, I, there's so many that I can't do that I try to. And, you know, you try and it doesn't work or it does work. And I don't sound like all of them. I sound like some of them. But it's worked. And that uh, versatility that coach told me to have, you know, is what helped my career so much because he said, you know, expand, keep expanding. It doesn't hurt to expand. If they don't like it, then good. If, fine. And there's been songs I've done that people are like, ah, and I just let them go. But I kept trying. I was too afraid to try until coach said, uh-uh, why are you afraid to try? He goes, you know, you should only be afraid is when you stop trying. That's a quitter. He goes, a quitter is when you stop, not when you don't. He goes, it's not by failing. He goes, if you keep trying and you keep failing, you're not a quitter. You're not, you're not, you're not done. He goes, you're not losing. He goes, you're winning if you keep trying. If you keep trying, it doesn't matter. That's where that competition thing goes, that healthy competitiveness to that ugly competitiveness. I hate that guy because he's got the better job or the better car or this or the better voice or like I wouldn't want to share the stage when I was younger with anybody because I was so damn insecure that other people would sound better to me. And when they did, I got so insecure. Now, when I hear somebody sounding better than me, I'm like, holy crap, how can I promote them to be better? And have people see them and hear them. And now you'll see it. You see it on my page. You see me putting people on my stories that sing. I'll go somewhere. I hear a singer. And I'll do that. One of the people I learned that from was Lady Gaga. I sounded like crap on at the in the World Series. Again, Mr. Ricketts. He let me sing in there when nobody wanted me to sing because I was a no-name. And I was, quote, unquote, Carter Cubs family. He was our guy. And Johnny's going to sing. That I'll never forget. That I'll never forget. That man didn't have to do that for me, and I'll love him to the day I die. That's just like coach, and that's what you're saying. How did it come from? I think of like Bill Walsh, you know, back in the old days, the Bill Walsh coaching tree, they said, you know. It's like the Mike Ditka life tree from Ditka's to the Cubs to the Pentagon to all these places to Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys to the Packers was because of coach. I met I met a, a, a Bob Harlem. He used to be the president of the Packers. That's how I started singing the anthem. 2003 they're all through Ditka's and then you know the Cubs then the Cubs open up all these doors and in life I think if we instead of worry about what what we're going to have and look at what people and I know a lot of people haven't been as lucky I've been very very lucky but I also have been very unlucky growing up with mental illness because I, I know a lot of people suffer and I hope nobody you know, people say, ah, oh, my family will say, everybody suffers and everybody has problems. I do understand that. But when you when you suffer from something like Puro, if you suffer from uh, borderline personality disorder, if you suffer from uh, bipolar, if you suffer from schizophrenia, which I know many people who have these afflictions, it's painful. It's, 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 and I hate to say it, I've had broken bones, I've had illnesses, and my, my worst illness has always been my mental illness because it's my biggest obstacle it's it's like two wolves fighting in your head and they say well which wolf are you going to feed right you got that one. we all have those two wolves in our head that good wolf with all those good thoughts and good things and that bad wolf which makes it you know the competitive stuff we're not good enough we're not this we're not that which one are you going to feed well for a long time in my life and i still feed the bad one 
you start hanging around the right people and they tell you, feed the other one, feed the other one, feed the other one, John. Feed the good one. Look at the good. Because I always wanted to have the, oh, poor me, poor this, poor that. Oh, my God. And I still, my really good friends hear me bitching and moaning and they'll still do it. And the real good ones keep their mouths shut. And I'm like, oh, my God, shut up, John. Let this person talk and let this person, you know, tell you what's going on in their life. And I have a long way to go with that. But there's so many great people that taught me so many lessons. Um, coach, my father, my sisters. Um, you know, you talk about other famous people that I met or people on the street that I met that showed me life. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay, you're, you don't get it until you open up your eyes. And the one thing I can tell everybody now at my age is, just try to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You do that, now we have a chance because now you kind of are trying to understand where they come from. I, I, I put up the tweet so people could see it. Lady Gaga says, wow, John Vincent, that's how you sing the national anthem. Goosebumps, like, let's my, go my Cubs. If you hear that one, that, I sounded terrible. And there was so many people that criticized it. And I'm not making excuses because game six, I'll say I sounded great game six. Uh, with the Dodgers, I felt very good. I felt comfortable, and I felt like that. And that was the best game of my life, of any sport, of anything. Um, it felt like a football game before. Everybody was in their seats. Everybody's yelling, let's go, Cubbies. Everybody's screaming it. The atmosphere was like a NFL playoff game. It was so crazy. Um, and then I sing the anthem. I get to go on the field. Mr. Ricketts lets me go on the field with – the players and all these celebrities and, and, and party on the field. It was unbelievable. That was the fav, fav, my favorite anthem of all time, of all time. Now come the world series, I was getting a bunch of interviews and everything. And I got a super cold <laughs> before the anthem. I only held it for like eight seconds. And if you see, I take a step, step back. Literally, if I would have held it longer, I probably would have fainted. And looking back, I'm like, oh, my God, that would have been so funny to see my fat ass just go down on that field. Um, but I, I don't want to take anybody's thunder. I mean, you know, we lost that game anyways in the World Series. But I'm like, I was going to faint because I was so sick and my voice sounded so bad. I was in a, the shower. It was before we got re renovated. I'm there with my vest on and my jacket and, and my, my suit jacket and everything. Or my, I don't think I had a suit jacket. I had my vest on and my tie. And I'm having the, the shower run and I'm just breathing all the hot steam as much as I can because my voice was hurting so bad. And what I'm saying is what Lady Gaga did was she knows I sounded like crap, but she just gave me love for no reason except for to give me love. And then I looked into Lady Gaga and she suffers and she uh, was bullied and all this stuff. And I'm like, you know what? If she could do this and she's this famous, why can't I? And I'm a nobody. I got the time. She doesn't. She's a famous celebrity. I'm, I'm nobody. Why can't I go out there and try to make it better? Because it ain't working trying to, you know, do things for yourself and trying to live in this world of me, me, me. Try to do something to make the world better. And you know what? You become happier when you do it. And you do. And that woman did such a beautiful thing that day. She didn't have to give me a moment, a time of day, nothing. And she helped my career so much by that tweet. By that uh, yeah. <laughs> she helped me so much just by doing that. And the fact was, I sounded like crap that day. But she was too kind and too sweet. And she had love in her heart. And boom, that 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 made me open up my eyes and say, okay, those are people who care that don't have to do it. But they're like, let me be cool to somebody.
And I've seen you, John, being cool to somebody. And in fact, you know, the last uh, Christmas show that you were at, I, you know, myself, Stuart McVicker, we were out there. And you had Jeremiah Paprocki out there and you had John Benedict. Now, Johnny Benedict's a good friend of mine. And, you know, I know his abilities. You know his abilities. Everybody knows him as the Cubs organist. They don't realize what a talented singer he is. Oh, so my in- God. He's so talented. <laughs> I love in that, that. First of all, I love those two guys. Those two guys are like my little brothers, man. I love those two guys. Those two guys, every time I see them, they make me smile. Johnny's always joking around. Jeremiah's, what, 24, and he's way more of an adult than me. He reached out to me one time. He's like, hey, John, you know, I'm going to go buy this car, and I just can you come along with me? Just to, and I thought, you know, I mean, you know, he's going to buy a car, and maybe he wants some support or for this kid knew more than I ever knew. And he's like, I'm like, Oh my God, you didn't need me here, brother. I'm like, you're so smart. You knew what you were doing, but it's just, it's such a humility and such an honesty from both of them. And what blows me away though, is is you sit there in the show and you say, John, you're going to sing the national anthem. Now I know what John can do, but most people that know John is, Oh, he's the Cubs organist. But here's you, John Vincent, who, you know, sings the anthem, who Lady Gaga tweets about. You hand over the mic of, of your, you know, a song you're known for, and you let Johnny sing that national anthem, and he blew the room away. And that's just like what you were talking about, about giving, you, allowing your platform to help others. I would have never done that 15 years ago. Never. Never done that 15 years ago because I would have been too afraid to get shown up. And I think most of us, feel the exact same way deep down inside and we're going to lie to ourselves most of our life until we get that uncomfortable conversation because uncomfortable conversations make comfortable situations when you have and are capable to have uncomfortable i you know i have a lot of people saying you know johnny people don't always want to be serious they don't always want to talk about this stuff well i'm seeing this world getting worse And, and, and i'm not saying it as an old man because i hate when people go boomer Z, X, millennials, all that. None of that stuff means anything to me. Are you human? Yes. Okay. So you have my respect. You don't have to earn it if you're older or younger or this or that. You're human. So I'm going to treat you like a human. I didn't always do that in my life because I was bullied and abused. So what did I do? I'd be crappy and shitty and tell people to F off and get in fights when you were younger. We all did that. We all got angry. We all got pissed off. We don't want to admit that. But if somebody else does, we're so quick to point the finger. So what did I want to do? I wanted at one point in my life to point the finger at myself and said, no, I did this. I'm tired of saying, poor John, poor John. Because you know what? Even though crappy things happen to you, a lot of beautiful things happen to you. Be grateful for them. And every great person I met is grateful. All great people I know are grateful. They're grateful. Like, And the people like myself that complain are the ones that don't ever think they have enough. And I'm like, why are you always complaining, John? Cause wait a minute, this coffee's not warm enough. And the great person says, well, at least I got coffee, you know, and, and, and oh, this, you know, this, this, this house isn't big enough. The grateful, grateful person says, at least I got the house, you know, and, and then you start going deeper and deeper. Like you can be grateful for the smallest things because it can be gone in a blink of an eye. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Now, Johnny, you know, you're, you're mentioning that and, and that kind of takes us to uh, this weekend 
Uh, somebody that was just always grateful and loving life, Dorothy Farrell, one of the biggest Cub fans that existed. Here's a picture of her with Ken Rosenthal laughing. Uh, she said she wanted to do a Jaeger shot after the Cubs won at age 91, whatever, when this was taken. But um, Dorothy's last call is going to be this Saturday, January 6th, and it is going to be at La Villa. Uh, in Chicago. And so you are going to be uh, singing a few numbers there and it's just going to be a celebration of life. And I think John, that's, that's kind of what you're talking about is just enjoying what you have. And then that's what Dorothy always did. She enjoyed the present. She loved her friends and family. She loved the Cubs and she loved her Jägermeister. And so we're going to sing some songs. John Benedict's going to be there as well. We're going to have some laughs and it's going to be a lot of fun. And we appreciate you being part of the event. No, I mean, I, you know, when Stu came out to me about it and everything, you, you just hear, how old was Dorothy when she passed? 97, 98? 97, God bless. And I mean, I didn't know Dorothy personally like you guys did. I've met her. And like you said, she was always smiling. And, you know, you see people complaining about something, looking at that, and then looking at those people still do it and not complaining, but then doing it with a smile like Dorothy did. That's why I see what's beautiful with what you and, and, and Stu are doing and everything. You guys are giving her a, a beautiful, you know, honor for a beautiful woman who, who brought smiles to people. And that's how we all should live our life. You know, in, in Italian, they have a thing. La la vecchiaia e un carogna, non si viene un vergogna. You know, it stinks to get old, but if you don't get old, it stinks. Like, it's terrible. It's like, <laughs> so, so it's like, it's damned if you do, if you're damned if you don't. Really? Then you look at people like like Dorothy, who would go celebrate and go out in her nineties and go there. Well, John, I appreciate you hopping on. It was it was great talking to you. We look forward to seeing you Saturday at Dorothy's last call. There are tickets available, and I'll put that link down there. Um, John, you always have events coming up, uh, and and we're always excited to see you. If people are interested in your events, they can go to your website is johnvincentlive.com. On, on Facebook, Twitter, um, Instagram, on TikTok, you can find me on John Vincent Live, just the same as my uh, website. And then Friday, right. I'm doing a show for, uh, I'm doing a show at the Lyric Theater in Blue Island Friday evening. I don't know, it might be sold out or there might be a few tickets left, but that's this Friday um, at six at seven p.m. in Blue Islands, and it's a great theater. The owner of Beggars Pizza owns it, and it's it's awesome. It has such a Las Vegas feel. Great theater, the Lyric Theater in Blue Island. Check it out if if you can't make my show. They do a bunch of great events there. Well, John, I, I recommend everyone goes because it's always a lot of fun. Thank you for jumping on, and we'll see you on Saturday. You got it, brother. Thank you so much. Crowley, great job. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season three. It's episode one. You just heard the interview there with Cubs anthem singer John Vincent, and that is the title of this episode. And uh, Crowley, in closing, you uh, want to talk about uh, a special uh, party that's happening. Yeah. Um, as you heard in the last segment, you know, we were going to have a celebration of life party for Dorothy Farrell, the great Cub fan who passed away in December. She was always there at the seventh inning stretch, interviewed by uh, Ken Rosenthal during the NLCS. Um, just just a wonder, wonderful, wonderful Cubs person. And so we're going to do the old Irish wake, Dustin. It's going to be January 6th from 1 p.m. 
to 5 p.m. at La Villa Restaurant, located at 3638 North Pulaski Road, Chicago, Illinois. There's going to be live music. John Vincent's going to be performing. John Benedict, the organist, is going to be performing. Um, even just recently from modern day, Romeo's Jim and Justin are going to be performing. But it's not going to be anything sad. We are going to remember Dorothy and all the fun she had. So, again, music, games, and lots of Jägermeister. So this is Saturday, July 6th at La Villa from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Tickets are $40. They include unlimited pizza, pasta, and salads, soft drinks, tea, and coffee. We're going to have a lot of raffles, a lot of prizes. It is going to be a very fun event. Um, so I would really recommend coming down. And, and again, if you're a Cub fan for any amount of time, you knew who Dorothy was. And, and there's no better way, I think, to send her off than, than having a party because that's what she would have wanted. Very cool. Good. That's a great event. Hope you can make it out there. And uh, I'll let you have the last uh, mention of the news, Crowley, but uh, some good news for uh, scoreheads out there. Hey, how about it? The Chicago Fall Ratings book came out and it shows that the scores ratings continue to dominate sports talk radio. I saw your numbers went up. The Mully and Haas show yep. jumping up. So Very congratulations Very to you and the yep. guys. I mean, I've been saying it, you know, like I said, I'm not just kind of blowing smoke here. I really have enjoyed what the score has been doing. They've had a lot of great things, whether you talked about, you know, the individual shows like the uh, Mully and Hall, Parkinson Spiegel, uh, Bernstein and Holmes. All the shows have been great, um, you know, hit and run inside the clubhouse. A great job was done on the Pat Hughes um, call to the hall special that they did. I know that there was the there's just so much that has been going on. It does not shock me to see that Chicago, the score, 670, the score continues to be the choice of Chicago sports fans. And hey, of all the days for this news to come out, 1992, January 2nd, score's birthday. So for me, talking. Absolutely amazing. Tom Share, <laughs> the first voice on the score. Yeah. And, you know, I just remember all those early shows and thinking to myself, like, wow, this is awesome. Like there's people that is talking sports. I don't have to call a hotline anymore, you know? And so- <laughs> I remember listening on my Walkman, Crowley. All right. So is that what? 32 years of 670, the score. Uh-huh. So it, it's hard to believe. I've had actually had a lot of friends that have been, um, that have worked as uh, interns over the years at the score. And uh, I'm just really, like I said, thankful that they let us do our little Cubs thing. And, and it's a lot of fun. So congratulations to everybody at The Score. Um, and we've got a, a live podcast coming up later this week. Yeah, actually tomorrow, if you can believe it, 7 p.m., Bruce Miles. He was the one that told me about the Sammy Sosa possibly on the ballot for the Cubs Hall of Fame. He wrote a great book about the history of the franchise of the Cub along with Jesse Rogers. He is going to spend some time uh, talking about the book. I'm going to ask him some questions. And if any one of our listeners wants to ask a question, he's got all sorts of interesting stuff about Sosa, about Kerry Wood, about famous trades in Cubs history, about famous teams in Cubs history. So you know Bruce, man. There's really almost nobody that knows more about the Cubs organization than Bruce. So it's going to be a fun talk, and I welcome anybody that wants to kind of listen in and with a, take bring in whatever questions you got, whether it's historical or if you want Bruce's opinion with what's going on with the team, he's still dialed in. So give it a listen. That's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Ply the W podcast. 
Follow us on the socials. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Of course, we're on Twitter as well. You can email the show, fly the W670 at gmail.com. And you can watch us on YouTube. That's right, by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. I thank everybody. We're going to have a lot of fun this new year. And what a way to kick it off celebrating Dorothy Farrell. Go Cubs! It's all over. <laughs>